Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Hungarian Tire Chicken 2020. That title suggested by That's Real Bad on Twitter. Runner-up is Lydia Cruz, A Hard Day's Front Left. And Jeff Boyle comes into third place with Albon Gets the Hair Dryer Treatment. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined, as always, by Matt Two Rumpets. Good evening, Matt. Hey there, Spanners, and boy, do we have more than a few things to talk about on today's show. Well, we do have a lot of things to talk about, but we have to look at the length of the show. Last week, we went two hours, and I think that's too long. Um, Sorry, our show timings are powered by AWS. I'm sorry, you mean one freedom unit? One freedom unit's worth of show. So we now need to restrict ourselves to uh, 0.75, maths is hard, 0.75 0.75 freedom units. I did a quick straw poll of our patrons and they think that 90 minutes is right for a race review. So we've got to cut a few things out, Matt. So to save time, I suggest we skip a couple of drivers in our discussions of how well they did. So you and me will each nominate one driver to not talk about. If I nominate Ocon, you feel free to nominate Perez and then we don't need to talk about either of those. Okay, so I, I sort of see how this works. It's like we're trading votes in a in a parliament or something like that. Yes, we're corrupting democracy. No, wait. No, hang on. That sounds that sounds worse than I meant it. Um also, I realized, Matt, there's no race next weekend. I have be- become already institutionalized to to race weekends every weekend, and I don't know what I'm gonna do next week. Uh, I think we'll probably have to do a show that has no race to talk about. That's gonna be pretty much it. We'll get to talk about all the things that might happen in the next race and all the other things we learned about since the last race. I don't know. It seems like to me this would be the obvious way to go, but, eh, you know. Or we don't tell my wife there isn't a race and I spent all of Sunday in the shed, eye racing, and no one's any the wiser. I also am okay with this plan. 
Let's do that. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves, as long as none of you snitch on my plan for next Sunday. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined in the shed by our race analyst, Alex Jeansy Van Jean. How's it going, Alex? It's going really well. I got to do some driving today and get to watch lots of racing today. I saw, and you were in a wet, dry session in karting, so you are all set for today. I am all set for today. And my first actual time on on actual wets, which were amazing. Oh, you had actual wet tyres on a cart? Actual wets on a cart. Oh, that's They were nice. amazing. There was so much grip. It was awesome. The main problem with doing any form of real racing or any kind of track day I've done is that the rest of the day sucks because you're not in that vehicle. And in fact, you know, sometimes the rest of the week can suck. Uh, the adrenaline boost I got today was an adrenaline boost I haven't experienced for about, well, since before lockdown. So I was absolutely buzzing and I massively crashed like three quarters of the way through the race. And I wasn't a pleasant person after that, but I've cheered up now. Oh, good. As long as you've cheered up for Missed Apex podcast and joining us for the first time in 2020, BBC presenter, rising star of FM radio, Ellen Ellard. Good evening, Ellen. Hello. I wish I could say I was that immersed in the race that I you know, got that adrenaline after coming out of my own cart, but I was just sat there in my dressing gown watching along. Are you saying that you didn't spend, spend the day on a track in an octane-fueled morning? Sadly not. Okay, but uh, we will see how you've enjoyed this race. And I think the first thing we're going to talk about is our general impressions of the race. Now, Alex, let, let's go to you. You're, you know, you're someone who's done you know, a wet-dry race today. And I know that you enjoyed this race a lot. But for me, the the threat of rain ruined it. So we spent the whole day in an extended Formula One weather forecast. Now, don't get me wrong. I like predicting whether it's going to rain or not when I'm thinking about hanging my laundry out. When it's an hour and a half of Formula One and all I'm thinking about is, is it going to rain or not? I think that takes the edge off it for me. But I'm I'm more than happy uh, to hear why you think I should have enjoyed it more. Well, I kind of blank out the predictions of rain because to be fair, I looked on an app on my phone and it said it wasn't going to rain. So I don't know why they, they they can see big dark clouds and Formula One teams are paranoid. So they're just going to think, oh, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. Let's stay out for as long as we can. But I like the pressure it builds up for every single driver that's out there. Every single one of the drivers was screaming about their tires dying, especially Charles Leclerc, where they're just like, I need to pit because my tyres are dead, but I don't want to pit if it's going to rain. So it kind of adds to everything that they're that they're going through. Um, but I think the race just played out really nicely today, except for the front. However much I, however much I like Lewis, he was kind of gone today. Ellen, what did you make of the race today? I get what you're saying about the extended forecast. I felt like I was on the edge of my seat with anticipation. You know, every five minutes they were like, rain coming in five minutes, going to last like eight five minutes passed and it didn't happen and then you've got a new forecast coming through and you was just sort of waiting for it to happen and then it sort of you know didn't really amount to much but apart from that I thought it was a good race. Yeah and I think that the threat of rain and everyone anticipating rain is is almost like saying right we can't have a good race unless it rains so every time the rain doesn't come it's a disappointment but obviously we're going to look at some of the strategy a little bit more later Matt but I, I, I just kept feeling like the drivers, yeah, they were they were just responding to the tires, as uh, as the guys have said. 
and going, yeah, my tires have gone off. I need to go on to another tire. But the teams were very much looking at the pit windows and responding to the rain. And, and then for me, that just kind of dulls the strategy. And as much as I'm critical of, you know, certain other publications who leap on F1 when it's boring, I, I would say this is my least favorite kind of tactical race, just because the teams are looking for something that may or may not happen that's not really to do with how good they are, how good the drivers are, how well they're doing, uh, the engineering strategy, how good the car is. They're waiting on this random element. Uh, I don't know. For me, that's that's the least enjoyable strategic element in F1. I think I understand where you're. I think I understand where you're coming from, in the sense that the teams have to arbitrage time loss on old tires versus an extra whole pit stops worth of time. If they put you on new tires and two laps later, you're back in to get onto enters or wets. And I think the biggest problem that Formula One teams have, and, and, and I know the commentary gets sucked into it because you can hear it on team radio, is that they tend to mistake specificity for accuracy with regards to the actual forecast. And uh, I think Ferrari was the first one to, to go uh, bringing Leclerc in to get rid of his soft tires. Uh, after about another lap and a half, they're like, you're right, it's only a 20-second pit stop. We're, we're losing so much more time. We're losing so much more time on your dead yeah. tires. We, it's worth the extra 20 seconds to have you back out there and lapping at a decent pace. And, and then that sort of uh, started the slow downhill dominoes from there. Van Jean. The great thing was, was Leclerc was a cork in a bottle. So he had everybody <laughs> coming up behind him. We had like a massive chain of like seven drivers all vying for position to get past. You then had the Hasses who were well out of position because of their their brilliant idea to change from a full wet at an inter to hards or mediums, whatever it was. Um, and they were actually doing fairly decent pace at the beginning of their stints. And then it slowly waned <laughs> away. So we had quite a mixed up deck of cards and they just kind of all converged together. So that's why, that's why I liked it. Well, before we get into specifics, the point about the race I kind of wanted to make is we had essentially a dry race today. And even though, I, I, in my opinion, the race fizzled from a spectacle point of view because everything was set up around, is there going to be a second rain shower? And then as teams started going, no, there's not going to be, let's resume our, our tactics. All the tactics and all the excitement of the race, as, as narrated by the commentary team I was watching, sort of fizzled away. But when you look at the, the racing, Matt, the big fear in F1 is we're going to get tracks where there's no overtaking. And Hungary is described as Monaco without the walls. Now, I think that's a bit of a dumb comparison because the walls is what makes people not want to overtake and race. You go to somewhere like Paul Ricard that people don't love, but because of all the open space, people will make a move anywhere and everywhere. So in that respect, Hungary has always been different to Monaco. I've hated that comparison. This is a track where you can race, but it is difficult to overtake. However, this spec of cars on this tough track in uh, s sometimes traction-limited conditions, especially offline, when cars did come together, they were able to race and overtake. And that bodes massively well for the rest of 2020. It does. And we saw actually some really, really good racing from the beginning of the race all the way to the end. I think the sense that it fizzled is from people who were looking for the kind of chaos that we saw at Hockenheim yes. last year. And uh, from, from the fact that when it came down to it, we had such a great recipe for the last two laps. I mean, we really did. But 
there was a problem with the timing in that Verstappen was going through all the midfielders who were supposed to be fighting on the last lap. So all of them from Vettel on back had a blue flag as Verstappen was coming through trying to not be chased down by Botas, I think, if my memory serves me correctly. So a lot of the last lap spectacle sort of got fizzled away through just like no fault of anyone's really. It's just kind of the way things played out. But it was set up, we were set up to have about four or five last lap battles that should have been spectacular. And that happens in in Formula One all the time. There's a promise of of battles that don't quite materialize that that's part of formula one and I, I think we've been lucky in this era we've had so many good races the the ones where there is no payoff ultimately at the end we kind of go disappointed but really just wait for the next race it's in like five minutes um well it's two weeks oh it's too long it's too long there's a, a good uh talking point in the chat room from andrew kisa who says i felt this track was boring because there's only two uh two turns you can overtake in so alex i want to go to you for this one because there are a lot of karting tracks especially indoor karting tracks where you get good racing however there are one or two prime overtaking i don't think that that makes any less of a racing um maybe less of a racing spectacle but from a driving point of view that's fairly normal in like club racing all the way up and down everyone who gets in and turns wheel knows you're setting yourself up for that one killer area of the track yeah, so it's a case of preparing people for preparing uh, yourself for an overtake. So um, an overtake isn't just something that happens at one or two corners. It's something you might set up for laps in advance. Um, so, for example, the two opportunities at this track are turn one and turn two. Um, so your key point is to get yourself up the back, up the gearbox of the car in front going onto the back straight to then have a go into turn one or dummy them into turn one so you can then get them into turn two. And we saw a lot of that today where uh, when we had Leclerc and Bottas, for example, uh, Bottas, Leclerc gave Bottas the inside line, made Bottas have to go out wide, made Bottas go through a big puddle because um, literally Leclerc forced him there. Leclerc could have given him more room on the inside, on uh, on the inside of the track, but forced him into a puddle. And then look, then Bottas went straight off the circuit. It's all about setting people up. It's not necessarily about a big dive bomb. Um, it's sometimes about a big dive bomb reference, Daniel Ricardo. Um, but a lot of the time, or me, yes, you're pointing at me, whatever. Um, uh, it's not always about that. It is sometimes about setting people up. Brilliant. Well, talking of setups for the race, let's talk about qualifying. All right. Well, let's start with uh, well, let's start with Ellen because obviously the the Red Bulls had a bit of a, a tale of of two days over the weekend. I'm trying to squeeze it into the football analogy uh, game of two halves, but it, it certainly looked like a different Red Bull between the race and qualifying. So let's start with some of their problems in qualifying. Yeah, it was just not a great start, was it, for the Red Bull? I mean, there was you know so much sort of clashing of sort of emotion, especially between the two drivers as well. Things just weren't going right, you know, swapping yeah. of parts, using old spec parts. And, you know, you could see it in the drivers. They weren't happy and they weren't hiding it at all, which I think was kind of good. I think it was good for them to open up and just sort of let that emotion go. And in that front, you saw a little bit of it later on in the race with Albon. Um, I know we'll touch on that a bit later. Yeah. But, you know, there was a lot of emotion and it wasn't the best start. But 
you know, looking at what we've seen today in the race, it was completely different. Well, Ellen, I think the the first, you know, bit of a emotion that might be our first candidate for the Pony Award was um, Alex Albon, clearly not happy in uh, in qualifying on his final runs, you know, saying to his pit crew, I, I told you, he, he honestly, that sounded like a bit like teenager shouting at his mum, I told you not to put me out in traffic. And uh, I think, Ellen, that's kind of some of the emotions that you were alluding to. Yeah, definitely. And I think it affected Max as well. You know, everyone was shouting. The whole team was just a bit riled up. So it was nice to see that even though the challenges they had today, it had sort of calmed down a little bit more because you don't want to see the team fighting, but it's good that they're in that situation and they're open enough and confident enough as a team to tell each other what they want and what they need doing. Yeah, but um, I think, Matt, with the with the actual car setup, Ellen alluded to uh, bringing in old spec parts. It just felt like <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna making it sound like oh, it just felt like to me. No, they actually said you know balance was an issue. So you and I and uh, Van Jean and all the iRacing guys, we've been talking about setup and balance quite a lot. It seems like whatever they did, the car just was either understeering or oversteering, and they just couldn't get a drivable car. Yeah, and it's important uh, to remember that Red Bull have adopted a Mercedes solution for the front end, the Cape, which they haven't been running previously. And I believe they've also adopted a brand new and rather tricky uh, front end suspension geometry to go with. And usually this happens when Adrian Newey has a good idea about aerodynamics. But he's not very concerned about how drivable the car is for the driver. He's concerned about getting the best aerodynamics yeah. out of the car he can. And then he figures they'll manage it from there. Yeah. And so I think we're into the managing it from there phase right now. Uh, but it's also important to note, and especially with regard to Albin's performance, that uh, my my information was that Albin had an old floor and an old wing and that Max was the only one with the new parts on his car at least for qualifying. I don't know what happened for the race. So for people who are looking at Albon um, and going, you know, somebody needs to step yeah. up and do the lad a favor. Well, there you go. There's some information for you. Well, I mean, Gene's here. I think, I think we are generally Albon fans, aren't we? On, uh, on Missed Apex podcast. And George Russell was on Sky TV. And when they talked about uh, uh, Albon, he said, right, he, he is being made to look like a fool. He's a great driver. We all know he's a great driver. And it was a very impassioned speech, but also like they are bezies. So you're going to say that about your best mate, aren't you? It's if, without, that, his mate. Yeah, without that defense, it looks really bad for Albon. Now, now people will jump down my throat and say it looks really bad for anyone who's been in that second seat over the last 18 months. But right now, Albon's the one in that seat. Albon's the one trying to make an F1 career. And, and it, lo- it looks bad. There's no escaping it looks bad. That kind of quality performance looks terrible. F1 driver A cannot be consistently that far behind F1 driver B. It's just not, it's not allowed, um, you know, without people then asking questions. And yes, you know, him and him and George are Bezzies. Him, George and Russell are, uh, are, are Him, George are, and Russell. Norris. Yeah. Him, George and, him, George and Lando are, uh, are, are all Bezzies and they look after each other. Um, but, you know, I like Albon. He's a nice guy, but it's not about being a nice guy. It's about being fast on the track. And how far did he finish behind Max today? What was it forty seconds, something like that? It's, oh, that's two weekends it, in a row. It, it sounded like it was like a rhetorical question, but then there was an awkwardness as you tried to answer it. Okay, that's fine. It's fine. Not everyone can be good at everything. You're really fast in a go kart. Podcasting is a whole different thing. Uh, Matt, 
Yeah, so I, I just checked my information, and indeed, Max had a new uh, rear wing and floor that Albin didn't have. And and with regards to your point, Jeansy, yeah, it does look very bad for him to be that far down in qualifying. I think it's pretty clear the car has issues. He has the old parts. Given where he started, he finished fifth. And in fact, in 10 out of the last 12 races, he has finished in the top six which I would argue, relative to Gasly, is exactly why they promoted him. Uh, Not necessarily because he was going to be quicker in qualifying, but because when it came to getting the job done on track, he could get the job done. And let's not forget about the two potential podiums that have been crashed away from him. Wow, if he didn't didn't smash into Hamilton twice, he'd be all right, wouldn't he? Oh, Oh, here we go. Email email mattpt at gmail.com. Uh, if you have an objection to that statement, uh, let's move away from Albon. We'll certainly come back to him for the race. Uh, but I think the big talking point was huge, huge gap uh, to, from Mercedes to the rest of the pack and then racing point uh, a second behind. And it certainly was demoralizing for certain elements of the, the the F1 community. And by that, people who don't want Lewis Hamilton to do well or and or Ferrari fans yeah, there's a lot of overlap on that Venn diagram. We're really upset by that gap. Um, but there's a few things, I think, uh, to remember. And I think the point I wanted to make about people getting too excited, Matt, about the gap between uh, Mercedes, Mercedes B, and then the rest of the field is, there was a huge gap still between Mercedes and, and Racing Point. So I looked back at the 2019 times, and sure, the qualifying times were a bit higher this year, but the track has been resurfaced and it did seem that towards the end of qualifying, we had cool temperatures and ideal conditions. The observation I would make is that between Racing Point and Mercedes, there was a big Red Bull and Ferrari shaped gap. And I think any other season, any other time, we might look at that qualifying that we had on Saturday and go, oh, Mercedes were pretty far ahead. Hamilton are just ahead of Bottas. And look, there's the Ferraris, two tenths back, and the, the Red Bulls, another two tenths back. But they look like they've got good race pace. And oh, good for Racing Point. Seventh and eighth. What a great qualifying from them. But because Ferrari and Red Bull weren't there, suddenly it looks like it's a, you know, a completely different scene. I don't want to do down the pink party, Matt. I'm just saying it. I think it's more down to uh, the teams not being there in second and third rather than anything Racing Point have done beyond getting to the top of the midfield. In fact, let's go to Vanjie. I mean, everyone's lauding this Mercedes as the best car that's ever been built ever. But as you say, it's more the fact that Ferrari and Red Bull have disappeared. Again, they have not turned up to the party. And because we've now got this very condensed season with not a lot of time to fix it, you know, when you have Australia, you have Australia, two weeks later you have a different track, and then you've got three weeks. So there's a big gap Barring. between the first three races. Yeah. But now we've had the first three races all close together. No one's been able to fix their problems. I expect in a few weeks for Red Bull especially to have fixed their problems. But there isn't the time to do that. And, you know, it's I think the new Mercedes is good. But I don't yeah. think it's this amazing machine piece of machinery that they're all saying it. It's just everyone else has gone backwards. So I, I hold out no hope for, for Ferrari in the immediate future. But Ellen, I'm sensing that you might be a Red Bull fan. Do you feel hopeful of of Red Bull? 
A hundred percent. I think, you know, in the past, you know, looking at last season and before, you know, we'd give the second driver a lot more space before like jumping straight on him because we know how good Max is. And I feel like people are just jumping straight onto Alex and being like, oh, you know, he makes one mistake. And what is, you know, a very different season to anything we've ever seen before. And they're not really giving him that time all day. Uh, Yeah. And and there is that feeling, I think, that that there is potential to 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 unlock so certainly in Austria, they didn't look last. It looks like they've just turned up this weekend and, uh, and, and things have looked a little bit at sea. So the next tracks we go to, uh, Silverstone, certainly we've got two British Grand Prix races, low downforce there, uh, and we'll see how the car handles uh, flip, flipping through maggots and beckets and, and dealing with some of the fast stuff. So I think um, we can move on to the race. Yeah, let's do that. Matt, before we go to where the race was won and lost, uh, the, I think the, the talking point before the race was Max Verstappen losing it in the wet all by himself, just getting to the grid. Yeah, I think the, if there is a story of this race, it has to be the mechanics responsible for Verstappen's front left corner replacing either and or the track and push rod in 18 minutes with 25 seconds left to spare, screwing the wheel on and him rolling off on the formation lap and then finishing in second place. Sorry for the spoilers up at the front, but we all know how they finished. Uh, It was remarkable to me. And the only thing that really irritated me about this was that they just didn't have a camera constantly on those people doing the work in like a little picture-in-picture while all the other stuff was going on around it. Because how dramatic is that? Can Because he was. He was, uh, uh, the owner said that he was going to take it into the pits to get it fixed. And they saw him drive off and, and the mechanics were like, no, no, no. We think we know what the problem is. We think we can fix it before the start. And they were like, no, go to the grid, go to the grid, go to the grid. It was that close, people. It's amazing how much a front tire can bend and be distorted because um, he didn't do that much damage to the push rods and the suspension when he hit the barrier or it didn't seem like he did. But then when he couldn't reverse, he'd sort of just cranked it to the right and drove over his wing. And the whole pushrod system on the left-hand side just seemed to flex to allow it to go over the wing. And the whole wheel just moved to the left. And at one point, like his wheels were spread open in a V and you went, whoa, that's, that's not going anywhere. But I, from an engineering point of view, I want to give a shout out to, I'm sure there's one guy in the Red Bull office who all the time he's saying, guys, guys, guys. I know we only changed the front wing and the rear wing in the pit stops, but on the off chance we need to change, say, a battery unit or a floor component or the push rods, let's just put a join in here and a bolt in here. And, and everyone in that department will have been saying, oh, don't be stupid, Derek. His name's Derek, by the way, in my head. Don't be stupid, Derek. That's going to cost us lap time and money. And he's like, no, trust me, there's going to be a time where you're going to want to take that whole segment away and put it back on. And that one engineering guy has probably just earned Red Bull 18 points today. So uh, Red Bull Mechanics, if you're listening, I'm sure we're on a constant stream in the Red Bull garage. If you're that guy, Derek, uh, big shout out to you. You just cost your, you just earned your team massive, massive points. And the other thing is, Matt, Matt you've done some digging into the Haas situation. They've gotten a 10 second penalty for, for what? Well, they were summoned to the stewards for violating uh, 27.1. The driver shall drive alone and unaided. And I was like, okay, so this involved their formation lap. 
And so I, I, I actually did some digging. I went and watched both their formation laps. And basically, formation lap is Magnuson going, uh, we're on the wrong tire. No, no, do it in more of a Viking voice. Do it in more of a Viking voice. We are on the wrong tire. Like that, yeah. I think that's good. This tire is wrong. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's what he said. Exactly like that over the radio. Exactly like that. But he was the only one on Wex. He was the only one on Wex, wasn't he, on the lineup? Yeah. And then Grosjean going, you know, I think we could be on the dry... He's like, the dry line is really here. I think we could be on the dry tire. Do it in a French accent. And then as they get around to the pit lane, you want a French accent. Yeah. You really want to, but he lives in America now. Okay, Is it fine. really a French accent? Fine, fine. just do informative no, F1 fine. analysis. See if I care. Sorry. Okay. So, and he goes, oh, guys, uh, basically, you know, we, we could be on the dry tire here. The dry line's there. It's good. And then they, and then the team says, box, 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 box. Put them on the dry tires. Off they go, running third and fourth on merit because of that call. Magnuson finishes ninth. And then it turns out, and now this is one of my bugaboos. I'm like, where is the regulation that says you can't <laughs> call yeah. the team, call someone in to change tires during the formation lap? It's certainly not in the sporting code and the sporting regulations at all. All it says is alone and unaided. And it turns out, at least according to our friend Bradley Philpot, that there's a technical directive 011-17 that permits that sort of communications between the pit wall and the driver during the formation lap specifically i've never seen it no one has ever seen it because they don't ever publish the technical directives ever but they are responsible for 90 percent oftentimes of the rules violations that you're sitting there going like wait what it's a technical directive and they refuse to publish them and it's a thing they should so just for clarity they can't arrange a pit stop on the formation lap Apparently, they're not allowed to tell them to come into the pits on the formation lap. Which, that is yeah, I know we're all shaking ridiculous. our heads because it's bonkers. It's mental. Yeah. And especially because it's not like they just said, box, box, we're changing your tires. Both drivers expressed that, that, that they could be better off on a different tire. And then the team said box. So I just, I haven't seen the rule. I can't comment on whether or not they technically violated it. The stewards ruled they did. But man, uh, I'm not entirely happy about it. So if they would have driven in on their own initiative of their own accord, they would have been fine. Who knows? Maybe there's another technical directive. We don't know because we don't get to see them. I think if Magnus had come on the radio and gone, give me tires now of the driver variety, it would have been okay. But it's because they said it. What if they'd had a puncture? I've got a puncture. I need to come change my tires on the formation. No, I think that's okay because they're not being unaided. They've made the decision to come in. That is a tenuous rule. It's rubbish. Uh, I'm calling it out as rubbish, and I don't want it to stop us from finding out where the race was won and lost. I don't know where the race was won and lost because I was having people yelling in my ear saying, Dad, can I have crisps? Uh, But Matt is the guy who can tell us where the race was won and lost. And because I haven't said won and lost enough, I'm just going to say again, won and lost well if you're going to talk about where the race was won and lost one and lost we have to start lost and won yep no one and lost yeah right? we have to start at the start today nor we don't always oh, do good this, start at the start but we have to start yep. at the start and we have to start with the weather <laughs> mm-hmm. well yes because it poured down buckets it hammered down rain the track was green and it was still so damp 
that it was an official wet start, which meant that the teams could all be on enters and that all of that hard work that Racing Point did to get through to Q3 on the mediums was right out the window. People basically were going to have free choice later on. It doesn't matter. You just get one of your mechanics to preferably one of the mechanics with long hair to, whilst they're drying their hair ready for post-race interviews, dry the the start grid box. Easy peasy. That's perfectly legal, apparently. Yes, well, since we've already talked about Miracle Max's <laughs> mechanics, okay, yeah, we we, we can t- we can talk about Leaf Blower Gate <laughs> or oh, oh, Dry Gate. I thought that would oh, be is a it Dry good, Gate. Yeah, Dry Gate. Okay, so the um, so the official story is you're not allowed to do anything that alters the um, surface, the traction of the racing surface at all, and this has come about because. It was observed in previous seasons that, you know, the leaf blowers they used to, to cool the brakes and to cool the radiators, which sometimes in wet races inadvertently be sat around for minutes at a time pointed at the starting grid where the tires are. Yeah. To give them better shot. So this is definitely illegal. Um, anyway, one of the FIA uh, technical operatives uh, caught a Red Bull, caught a Red Bull uh, mechanic. Yeah. Inadvertently, apparently drying some of the asphalt in and or around Albon's box. But I guess Horner was able to sweet talk his way out of any punishment for Alex. Um, do, for do you know what? Do you know what? If, know. if that, if that guy looking all like he does with that topless hairy shot of him on a sports car, if he can bag, if he can bag a spice girl, he can sweet talk stewards. That's well within his remit, but let's get on to the race. Most itself. rubbish spice girl though. What? No! At least third best. That's a discussion for another time. We'll do that on the Remain Indoors podcast, which, by the way, you can catch at 2pm live, 2pm UK time. You can find me and Matt talking about next to nothing, or is it everything? Remain Indoors podcast. Find it on your podcatcher of choice. But Matt, why don't we move on to the race itself and find out where the race was won and lost? Right. So where the race was won and lost, it all really, it did come down to the start. Because you had the Haas on the medium tires, which originally I wasn't going to include. You wanted to include it. And I said, no, it didn't really matter. But it turns out it did matter. And I'll get to that in a second. Where the race was won and lost, for our purposes, starts with Valtteri Bottas in position two, looking at the lights and starting early. So Hamilton's major... But it wasn't a jump start. Yeah, well, Hamilton's major challenge, of course, Van Gene, was Valtteri Bottas. And he almost immediately blew it. Uh, it I, it's horrible. Jumping the start is a really bad thing because you sit there and you try and anticipate. And Bottas has form for anticipating the start. Certainly does. Um, and was it a few years ago at, um, at Austria where he had inhuman responses where he just jumped the start and went for it, which is what he should have done today is he should have just let the clutch out and gone. Because the problem is, if you're going to get a full start, you might as well just go. But he stopped, sort of rolled, and then hesitated, and then bogged down, and he lost loads and loads of places. He should have got a penalty. I don't think, by the rules, he should have got a penalty, but it, he was. they showed it on Sky frame by frame, and that he was within the two-tenth tolerance, which is rubbish, and it shouldn't be a tolerance. But it was um, a very confusing situation. So let's be clear. He was looking at red lights that are the start lights. And on his dashboard are red lights that aren't the start lights. And those red lights on his dashboard that aren't the start lights went out 
and he went and yeah. then he said wait those aren't the red lights i'm supposed to be looking at and he stopped and just as he did the red lights that were the start lights did go out and it was over for him so i'm thinking that somewhere at mercedes there's a there's a user experience engineer going Hmm. Oh. We might need to rethink this a bit. Oh, you're being too harsh. Poor old Bottas. It's his first race. When he's done some 200 starts, he'll be used to it. So <laughs> I don't know. Unless it was something extraordinary that happened, I'm willing to put that just down to it's a, it's a driver error. He's gone, oh, that's a dumb mistake. Why did I make that mistake? What can I say on microphone? I don't know. Maybe lights. But let's let's move to the meat of the battle. I think I think we know Lewis Hamilton disappeared was in control of the race. We'll circle back to, to Lewis Hamilton a little bit later. Uh, but from the, the pack's point of view, where was the race won and lost? Well, it was clear uh, Verstappen's start up to P3 from P7. Tremendously important because we saw Bottas going backwards that same amount and it ruined his race. Yes. If for Stroll, absolutely. He went from P3 to P2. And the fact that he was ahead of Verstappen and Verstappen was unable to get around him right there might have changed the complexion of the race a bit but it's really kevin magnuson and an undisclosed alpha that changed everything because when stroll came in to get rid of his wet tires not wet because they were on the grid but his enters yeah when he came out he encountered an alpha and if you watched his lap on board, as I did, you would see that he was struggling massively for traction coming out of the pit lane because it was still quite slippy in that yeah, sector. Yeah, they, they were one of the first ones, both, weren't they? Yeah. 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 You would have seen uh, both Haas's do the same thing. And as he was sort of rocking around behind this alpha waiting for it to pit or waiting for his tires to get up to temperature, here comes Kevin Magnuson, zoop, nice warm tires right by him right up to the back of that alpha, all the way around till it pits. And he's stuck behind Magnussen as Verstappen, on his incredibly well-working enters, puts in an amazing lap, overcuts him, and is out in second position. So right there, the fact that Stroll got caught behind Magnussen opened the door for Botas later in the race and left Max in sole possession of second place for the remainder. So it was crucial those first round of stops, what happened. And let's also remember that our friend Vettel, who had been doing reasonably well. In 2017, yeah. Oh, no, sorry, in the race, right. Yes, sorry, sorry, my bad. Came into the pits with everybody else at the end of lap three and got a reasonable pit stop. And as he started to go out, five cars in a row that were behind him came through. He was stuck for almost seven seconds. And if you go and look at the gap he had to Albon at the end, those seven seconds were the difference between P5 and P6. So yeah, it mattered. When they showed the replay of them holding Vettel in the box, they were very overly hesitant because there was a very big gap that they could have put um, him into. If there was a bigger gap that they could have put him into than they actually did put him into so a bit of another strategic faux pas from ferrari there i think they should have taken the risk i think they lost more through not you know through being hesitant and not taking the risk what do you think matt um yeah i mean uh on look back it is very clear that that there was a gap before that full time elapsed that they could have sent him out into and you know i mean why did they not? Well, was there some confusion about whether the stop was really done? Well, hang on, hang know, on, hang but... on. Why did they not? 
they got a great illustration at the top of the pit lane as why do you err on the side of a safe release with Latifi coming out straight into the path of signs, getting a puncher, spinning out and ending up 85 laps down Latifi was in the end. So that's why. So I think hats off to um, uh, to Ferrari in a narrow pit lane. They erred on the side of safety in a sport where so often a tenth of a second and one place override safety. So I'm going to I'm going to say well done Ferrari through gritted teeth. Do you not think on a whole they've been quite cautious this weekend, though? You know, not bringing in Leclerc. Yeah, you know, they they were relying on external things to happen rather than taking opportunities and taking chances. Well, OK, Ellen, what about the, the decision to put Leclerc on soft tyres? Now, that seems it seemed like a very aggressive choice when you're essentially restarting the race on on slicks because you've, you've started intermediates. You're, you're all coming in onto slicks now as it goes dry. You've got 70 laps left and they go for kind of an aggressive qualifying tyre. I don't think that was the right decision at all, but (laughs) I I don't, you know, with not them bringing him in after, I think that was the problem. You know, they weren't willing to take the risk of rain. You know, they've been holding off the rain. They were saying the rain was coming. It wasn't coming. And, you know, they didn't take the chance when they should have done to bring him back in. It felt like they kind of, they were doubling down on that decision. Once they put him out on softs and he's going, right, okay, this isn't the right choice anymore. Because they'd gambled on uh, the the rain window being shorter, they kind of then didn't want to, to, to go back on that decision. If you're willing to make aggressive risks, like putting him on the softs, you need to sort of take the consequences, yeah. even if it's not, even if it doesn't go your way. And, and I think they did there. Let's go uh, Van Jean, then Trumpets. They, the thing is, what you remember is they split the strategy. So they put they put Vettel on on the, on the medium and they put um, Leclerc on the soft. But also, I understand the reason to go for a soft because in horrible, wet, cold conditions, you want the tire that's going to heat up the fastest. Yes. They didn't know that that tire was going to grain yeah. as badly as it did, as quickly as it did. Um, however, what it did cause was a very interesting battle between Leclerc and Seb, where yeah. you've got the driver who's <laughs> staying versus the driver who's leaving, whether you let him go or not, which he didn't, and Seb had to fight his way past. Yeah, um, But I think that would have been the reason for going for the soft. It's a case of we want a tyre that's going to warm up quickly because we might get the advantage. And the, the other consequence of that is the Mercedes engineers and, of course, the rest of the grid had a good look at what those tyres were going to do. So a little bit later on, when Lewis Hamilton wanted the softs, they were like, oh, no. Those tyres grain after three laps. Thanks a lot, Leclerc. Uh, Trumpets. Yeah, so uh, what is very clearly being referenced here is Hockenheim, where people who went onto the soft tyres in the changeable conditions had a much better time of it than people who went onto the mediums. That was ages ago. And that that was not incorrect. However, what was interesting was that they wanted to put Vettel on the soft tyres too, and Vettel flat out said, no, put me on the mediums. So it wasn't a split strategy. It was Vettel, much like Hamilton later on in the race, arguing for the softs at the end, wanting the medium tires. And also of interest is the fact that because the Haas started the race on the medium tire, all of the teams had a wonderful marker of when to switch. And that would be the moment that the Haas was faster than you. Thank you very much, Jan. Yeah, I tell you what, Matt, let's, um, let's focus on Ferrari first. I think... The race was so strung out the one and lost is very complicated because where do you look at one and lost? In football, there is one ball that you follow around the pitch. 
Um, in Formula One, especially at the moment, you've got battles all the way up and down. You've essentially got 10 footballs. So hard to summarize where the race was won and lost in particular areas. But since we've been talking about Ferrari, I think the first thing we can say is the lack of pace is real. There is a real yes. lack of pace. Now, you and I have been arguing about uh, power unit versus aerodynamics. And what I realized, and I, I love it when we're arguing and I know I'm right, because there's nothing better than beating Matt in an argument. The worst case scenario is, is this one, where I realized we were making two separate points, talking past each other, and we were both equally right in our own way. So I've been arguing all about the power unit. You've been at pains to point out, no, it's car as well. And the truth is probably something like the power unit being so down on power on all the Ferrari cars means that your options for aerodynamics and downforce and engineering solutions is is really limited. But it is real. Yeah. And again, I will be at pains to point out that there's sort of this inwash versus this outwash solution that we saw last year between no, the two teams. No one understands that. What you just said, right. no one understands that. Yeah, because I was going to explain it more. Really? I'm good at explaining oh, things. I've actually made money doing that before. It's not before. tech time, Matt. Uh, Jesus. So, yeah, I know. But mm. just uh, just a quick thing. The Mercedes and similar yeah. teams yeah. Go on. use the front wing to push air out around the front tire to reduce the the damage the wake does to aerodynamics further down. Uh-huh. Whereas Ferrari, we're funneling it inside to use the air differently, but oh, to try yeah. and achieve the same effect. And what has happened is it turns out that their in-wash solution insufficient they can't get enough downforce on the front end of the car to make it work properly so they're stuck they've they've managed to compensate but the downforce they've put on the car is incredibly inefficient and very draggy so it makes the car slow and at the same time as you have discussed thanks to their um deal with the fia and the new technical directives and now it turns out that their engine is also a bit down on power because they're having some issues. I think it was Joe said with detonation and cooling because the. Uh, Matt's cut out, but basically he was saying fuel flow. So uh, let's go across to Ellen. I've yet to establish where you stand on on Ferrari. Uh, obviously disappointing for Ferrari fans, but Vettel, he definitely looks like he's not going without a, a fight this season. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, why would he? You know, he's got to make himself, you know, sellable as such. You know, if he's going, he's got to go looking good and looking nice for, <laughs> you know, other teams who are looking to buy him. So, or invest in him. So he's basically, he's he's got to think of his sort of F1 Tinder profile uh, <laughs> for the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, he hasn't given really much you know, out there in public about where where he wants to go or who he's been speaking to or or not from my knowledge. So I I don't know. I think, you know, you're not gonna just sit down. I think earlier on, you know, in the in the opening couple of races, there was a bit he didn't have that same sort of aggression and spark and that passion um, you know, going out Looked and a little down. You know, speaking. Yeah. Yeah. So I you know, I think he needs to go out there and prove himself. And I think, you know, he did to some extent, you know, he fought today and that's what he needs to do. Thing is, Ellen, if they ever say on the radio, um, give up that place or hold station, I don't think he's going to. No, no, of course not. I mean, he hasn't in the past. Why, why would he now? Uh, let's go to Alex. Gene Z, you are uh, a renowned Hamfosiist. You are a, a Hamilton fan. 
But I don't know where you step. No, don't say no. Of course you are. You're a massive <laughs> Hamilton fan. Don't you talking about? Don't go look at the um, Mist Apex Facebook last night after a very long conversation. Did you troll the Facebook group with Hamilton? No, we had a very we had a very nice debate that didn't get angry until after I went to bed. Oh, okay. I missed that. I missed angry things. But we do have a Mist Apex Facebook group, and you can join that by going to Facebook and searching for Mist Apex Podcast. We moderate it just enough so that it's not a terrible, terrible place to hang out. And unlike other Facebook groups, we won't indoctrinate you into strange and bizarre political viewpoints based on incomprehensible things like 5G towers. Not obviously and not so that you notice. Oh, no, you, you'd never notice. It would be a terrible cult if we, if we, if, <laughs> if, our, if our followers noticed. But go Kool-Aid. find us on Facebook. Uh, right, we were talking uh, Ferrari. From a driver point of view, uh, Leclerc looks awful today. All the wheel-to-wheel bits of action. He looked scruffy and he was understeery. And then there was snap oversteer. And it just felt like he was on the verge of hitting someone today. And I, and I can't believe he didn't. To be fair, he was struggling a lot with really poor tyres compared to everybody else. Actually, his defensive driving was very good. He left the space. He was aggressive. He he used the right lines and the right things, but let people go at the right times. The closest it got was with one of the McLarens coming out of turn two. Um, but he gave, I feel, every battle I saw with him, he gave the correct amount of room. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, hang on. Turn one, and I'm not biased at all here, but turn one, obviously lap one, uh, he was on the inside of three cars, Bottas and Perez on the outside, and he just fully understood all the way to the edge of the track. He understood with that, about... With lap, with lap one, you give it a bias unless you absolutely ram everybody off the track and take your teammate out too. Well, he would have um, done if yeah. Perez wasn't so brilliant and got out of the way. Yeah, he would have done. We'll talk about Perez later. No, no, um, we haven't got time. But no, lap, lap one aside, you know, it was I was to be fair, lap one, I was too busy focusing on Max's incredible start because um, that was phenomenal. All right, but well, let's go the there. One of, for Let, a lot of the one-on-one yeah. battles he had, yeah. that was... Okay. Well, I, I, I respect your opinion. I, I disagree. Every time I saw Leclerc in wheel-to-wheel action today, it, it looked like he was beyond the limit. So I don't know if that was something to do with the car or the conditions, but it, it looked like he was on the verge of, of snap oversteering or understeering into a car at all times today. Leclerc fanboys, you are welcome to email me and tell me I'm wrong. Spannersready at gmail.com. Alex, while, you're talking about, uh, while you were talking about Verstappen's good start, Let's move on to Red Bull. I think actually another amazing performance from Max Verstappen, uh, warm up laps aside. Well, put it this way you've gone out on your sighter lap, you've binned it in the wall because you're pushing too hard, because you're trying to find the limits. You've ruined, I think, as Matt said, a one off front wing. And then you've had to endure your team to repair your car in 18 minutes flat. Um, to compose yourself, get yourself back in the mindset, put that crash to one side, get your launch done right, and then be the best of the rest effectively. That's an incredible performance. And I do sometimes doubt Max's head, but today he really showed himself as the class that that he actually is. Uh, Ellen. He completely did. Yeah, I was going to say he completely did. He, you know, he must have had so much adrenaline and worry and fear pumping through him at that point, you know, not knowing 
you know, to what extent, you know, he's been told the car is ready to go. But do you fully, you know, that he's just going to be cautious, isn't he? He's going to have it in his head. But he put that all aside and completely went for it and held on as well. You know, if we're looking further into the race as well, he was, you know, outstanding. It was a really, really assured performance. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, okay. Well, let's look a bit further onto the race. I think that the key battle he had was seeing Valtteri Bottas close in on him and, and actually resisting. And we saw a lot of fortitude from him there. There was no question, like in Austria, he was like, oh, I, I'll put up a bit of a token fight, but I know Bottas is going to get past. I don't think that was the case today at all. No, he fought all the way to the end. You know, he knew he was closing on him. And yeah, you know, Mercedes, if they'd have brought him in maybe a lap or two earlier, it would have been a completely different situation. But he didn't know that and he just fought till the end. And, you know, that's got to be applauded. Yeah, interesting. He was asking the team, like, no, give me give me all the engine modes now. I'm fighting for second. Really nice to hear him over the over the um over the team radio saying, No, I'm fighting. And so often in, in F1, especially in recent seasons, if you hold your position for a few laps, you can you can nullify a tire advantage. You can make people overheat their tires. Uh, and also you can just you can kick the fight out of them. If they're behind you for a few laps going, Oh, I didn't. I didn't. I understood into the last corner before the overtaking zone, Matt, and and now I don't have the run into the into the first lap into the turn one. You lose all confidence, and we've seen in this modern era of F one, people just taking the right line, doing the right things, doing the right block at the right time, and keeping a faster car behind them. It's really amazing how if you simply run the racing line and don't make mistakes, how hard it can be for the car behind to get round. It can be so hard 
that even someone in, let's say, a Mercedes might just have to undercut oh. you and pass you in the pits <laughs> right, rather okay. than on track. Even if you're in, like, say, oh, I don't know, maybe last year's Mercedes. Oh, I'm sorry, a racing point. Okay, tell you what. We'll, we'll go to Mercedes next. I think um, before we do that, before we leave Red Bull, I do want to talk about uh, why the Red Bull looked a little better. Ellen, can you shed any light on why, you know, Albon, who was at sea in qualifying, suddenly looked all right in the race? I haven't got all the details down here, but yeah, he had, they, they restored some of the problems that they had through qualifying and he held it together. I mean, I think, you know, it wouldn't be the right to just sort of disregard Albon in all of this. He gained a huge amount of positions and, you know, like Max, he kept fighting till the end, no matter what. And I think, you know, that has secured him, you know, and should put enough confidence in the team with him because he did he did such a good job and i yeah i just think you know we shouldn't disregard that yeah horner today was uh mea culpa about the qualifying yesterday mea culpa said oh come on specifically give me a chance mea culpa what i don't know what that kind of word means my fault oh Oh, he said it was Red Bull's fault, not Albon's fault. Yeah, they they said they said that they definitely didn't do a good okay. job with him in qualifying okay. yesterday, and that they need to work with him to get his performance in the car, which they admit now <laughs> okay. is hard to drive. Mm. They need to get th- th- that it's Red Bull's task to get Albon closer to Verstappen because on track in the race he's doing everything they want him to do. And I will say, race director, dude, my ten-year-old was screaming at the TV. Why aren't they showing Albon catching Vettel? And and we had to make do with a replay instead of watching that that battle. Van Jean, Alex Jeansy Van Jean at Alex Van Jean on Twitter. What have yes. you to say? I I hope what I'm about to say isn't true. But we're, we're with what with what Matt just said regarding um, yeah. Red Bull saying it's their fault and not Albon's fault. They tend to do that and then drop their drivers. Oh, so, and and I don't want them to drop Albon. I like Albon. I think he's a racy guy, and I think he's got bags of potential. But we've heard this from Red Bull before. They were well behind Gasly. Oh man, it's like the old uh, and he didn't and he didn't make it past the summer break. Yeah, so it's like, it's like the football chairman giving full confidence in their manager. We have full confidence in the manager's ability to avoid relegation. Ellen, and then Matt. Well, they just need to, you know, they can't keep that turnover going. You know, they already <laughs> yeah. have such a high turnover as yeah. a team. They need to start investing in someone that isn't Max. They're not going to find, a, you know, a carbon copy, an exact, you know, version of Max out there. They need to start investing in different styles of driving and different drivers for that matter. And I think now's the time to do it. With Albon? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Trumpets? And I'm going to go back to the 10 out of 12 top six finishes, which is, again, what they need him to do for the points. He's doing the job on race day. I'm sorry. I didn't. Yes, I didn't say anything the first time. But if you're including 10 out of 12 races, that's nine races from 2019 where there was a clear three best cars. So what you're saying is he was in one of the three best cars and finished in the top six just Massively outperformed by Verstappen in general. In terms of race finishes, much outperforming the person he replaced the previous half of the season is what I am saying. Okay, but as the final counter to that, and I don't want to appear anti-Alban here, we cannot compare the the, the quarter three and four Red Bull to the quarter one and two Red Bull. 
So a direct comparison to Gasly isn't isn't available. So whilst I accept that everyone loves Albon and we've all got the best hope in the world for him, as a, especially as a British driver, and we want the British drivers to do well, Alex, I, but the jury is still out for me. I think he's got to do quite a bit more. And also, second part of last season, Max had a lot of dramas, engine failures and car problems that put him out of the race, which gave Albon a lot of Max's points and therefore made it look like he was doing much better in comparison to Max when Max just had a lot of reliability issues. Okay. I, I think at this stage, th- th- there's not too much controversy in just saying that Max Verstappen is a more experienced, faster, more complete race driver than Alex Albon. I also don't think it's controversial to say that Alex Albon's results do not reflect that of someone who wants to make it in F1 and be a top superstar. He's looking bad right now, and uh, I, I don't think that's all the way his fault, but we kind of have a heavyweight boxer mentality in F1, in that once uh, a shining star that we're all bigging up and we're watching them all the way through from karting through Formula 3, Formula 2, like Van Dorn, they drop into F1, And we go, right, this is it. They're going to be amazing. As soon as they lose their first bout, which is their first teammate battle, we start to write them off. We wrote off Van Dorn. As soon as Vettel lost to Ricardo, we went, ah, well, there you go. He's lost to Ricardo. I mean, he then lost to Leclerc as well. But that's that's an argument for another day. But with the heavyweight boxer mentality we've got with these teammate battles, from a a marketability, marketability point of view, Albon has been, you know, up against Kvyat, up against Verstappen, and this is hurting his reputation. And I can see why his best friend would be upset by that. So we're going to go to, uh, we're going to go to, we can delay, we can delay the racing point thing just a little bit longer. Let's go to Mercedes. Alex, I think Mercedes are listening to this podcast, the strategist. Do you know who the chief strategist is? Do you know who it is? Who's in charge of making the strategy calls? I think they're listening to Mr. Apex podcast. Matt, who, who, who makes the calls? James Val. James Val. Everybody knows this. Confirmed. James Val, 100% is a, uh, I've said 100%, it's such a young people term, I've just stolen it from Ellen. 100%, James Val definitely listens to Missed Apex podcast because a couple of weeks ago, I said, look, there was the Schumacher method of domination where you disappeared 18 laps ahead of everyone else. There's the Vettel domination where you went, right, I'm going to gap myself a pit stop and then I can do whatever the hell I want in this race, circa 2013. And then, Alex, there's uh, the Mercedes approach, which has generally been, let's get like three seconds ahead. And then as soon as there's a virtual safety car, they're in trouble, uh, a la Austria, uh, Australia 2018, I think, where they were completely in control, then suddenly find themselves losing track position. This time, Mercedes just absolutely none of that. They've just gone 20 seconds, boom, gone. And it was surprising. Well... It was aided by the fact of the person who was in second place by the end of that one. I oh, don't ruin um, my whole hold, point. <laughs> holding up, holding up the rest of the field. Lewis had a six-second lead in three laps, um, and that doubled really, really quickly. Um, and in those kind of conditions, he just drives the car, and unfortunately, a lot of people just can't keep up with that. Um, and yeah, they just found their stride today. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually quite surprised there was no safety cars. Everyone was really safe today. So it, it, it was one of those things It's like, okay, well, nothing's really going on. Let's go for it. And let's see if we can stretch the legs of this car, which we've been um, 
kind of reserving the last couple of races. Well, well I like it. Because there's no horrible curves yeah. to run over. Well, normally, Mercedes are very coy with their advantage. You know, they're completely dominant. And they're like, what do you think? Oh, well, you know, we're still working very hard. Those guys behind us, ooh, we're looking over our shoulders. If you look at the first stint, we were only about three seconds ahead. It would be nice, Alex, if they just started, you know, almost like Schumacher Ferrariing it and just going, do you know what? We are the nuts and look at us, us fly and stop apologizing because F1 competitiveness is not the responsibility of Mercedes. That's the responsibility of the FIA. If they've got some domination on the level of Williams in the 90s and uh, Schumacher and Ferrari in the noughties, let, let them have it. Let them do it. Let's see what they've got. Yeah, Mercedes have a history of not showing their pace until they have to. It's like in 2014. We knew the Merc was really, really quick, but we didn't actually know how quick it was until um, Lewis and Nico had to go at each other in Bahrain. Mm, and, yes. And that, and, and that, they just annihilated the rest of the field. It's like, oh, okay, that's how fast they actually are. Um, but no, it's, yeah. th- at the end of the day, it's a sport that is about a team performance in building a machine that is then driven to a potential. And it's hard on someone like Lewis Hamilton, who is just doing the best job he can in the equipment he's given. And unfortunately, the equipment he's given at the moment is far better than anybody else in the <laughs> yeah, grid. It's phenomenal. So everyone devalues the job Lewis is doing. But, you know, yeah. and okay, he's got the piece of equipment and could somebody else do a similar job if he wasn't in that team? Probably. But they're not. He is. And let's just applaud Mercedes for the phenomenal job they've yeah. done in the last six years. Uh, let's ask Ellen as our token young person. Uh, you are annoyingly young. You're like Chris Stevens young. Um, you're even younger than Chris Stevens. Uh, how, how do you see the Mercedes domination as somebody relatively new to the sport compared to, I mean, compared to Matt, geez. You know, they're dominant. They're clinical. We see, we saw that today, you know, even when Bottas was moving through the field, yeah, he was he was clinical. He just went for it, and he you know put on and you know most of the time he was passing, and most of the time he was going around the corners, and the corners you know that you can overtake on. He was clinical, and he didn't make mistakes. Sort of picking up on you saying about them being coy. You know, yes. I like that about them. I like that they you know they know they're good. Everyone knows they're good, but they also sort of from my point of view, and you hinted at it earlier, know that they can be brought down so easily. And not, yeah. I'm not talking speed-wise, I'm talking sort of outside issues. You know, there's stuff, because they are in a Formula 1 car, they know that. There's stuff that can bring them back to the field. If, you know, like a safety car, there's outside sources that can affect them. Yeah. And they know that. Well, well not just that, but I mean, there, there can be regulations specifically targeted at ma- taking yeah. away their advantage. 100%. And, you know, I think they, I like the way that they celebrate as a team and I like the way that they're, you know, they celebrate together and they are so happy together. I don't think I could see Toto Wolf charging round and being like, I am the best. Look <laughs> at me. I can't see him doing that. And I don't want to see him doing that. I like that they're coy. I like that they, they know where they are. They know the level they're at and they'll accept that and sort of celebrate other people, especially with Lewis. You know, he'll go out and he'll say well done to everyone mm. and he'll thank the team. And I like that about them. I don't know, Alex. I would quite like to see Toto going up to Horner in an interview going, watch your step. You might fall trying to do what we did at a dust with our DAS and our downforce and power unit. Yeah, you know, getting Mercedes with it. That's as much rapping as I can do at 10 at night. I think Mercedes got a fright in 2017 and 2018. Um, they got <laughs> yeah. caught unawares by Ferrari and 
not for errors and some very good performances, did they manage to keep hold of those two titles. And then they've gone, okay, let's now just throw all of our toys that have probably been sat in the toolbox for the last few years at the car and let's see how fast we can go. Because the thing is, is, to be fair, the last few years, the regulations haven't changed that much. So we've got, as in from last year Matt's going to gonna argue with you that much um, uh, in fact let's stop and- there let's stop let, let's let trumpets come in and yell at you yeah well we had a just as Ferrari was beginning to catch up we had a complete <laughs> change in the aerodynamic regulations that put everybody off of Mercedes again so it's always the case the longer the regulations <laughs> are unmessed with the closer all yeah. the teams get anytime there's a reset either on the power unit or on the aerodynamic side you get field spread again, and it takes several years, really, for convergence to happen. So this has done no one any yeah. favors, uh, the, the new, the new aero regs. If you have uh, teams with 1,000 employees and 1,000 engineers that can go down every single pathway and find all the wrong answers and have all the best equipment to, to utilize that information and just this pure, raw engineering approach that Mercedes have, because I believe that Mercedes are as much an engineering firm as they are a racing firm, anytime you change the regulations, Mercedes are going to be the ones to adapt. And, and, and unless you stop them having huge factories of a billion employees, every regulation change is going to hurt the rest of the field. I want to add to that. I heard today. What did you hear? I heard uh, Toto saying uh, in an interview pre-race or post-race that they have a system whereby any employee in the factory, if they think they have an idea that will make the car faster, can immediately can go and, and, and present that idea to the people who could make it happen, and it will be evaluated. Anybody. And I'm not sure that that would be the case at Ferrari. I'm not sure that would be the case at every team. But that's the kind of people management that lets them have these ideas. And they're also allowed to disagree with the team as well without, you know, in lots of businesses, you don't want to go and disagree with your management because they might not agree with you and they might push you back. Like Mr. Apex. Yeah, yeah, they (laughs) they encourage people to come and criticize what's going on as long as they've got an evaluated claim to go with it, which which encourages a really empowering atmosphere for a company to work for. Not not in Mist Apex. I want to be surrounded by yes men exclusively. Ellen. And that's why I buy into, you know, the Lewis, when Lewis is out there talking about the team. I know a lot of people are like, oh, he's just won the race. Why isn't he being more arrogant, going around and really owning that win? But, you know, they've built on this team, this vibe that they've established. And I think that's great. There's, I can't name another team that has that you know, has that to work with and can sort of is so open to ideas and celebrates everyone's individual role. I I really get the feeling and I could be completely wrong that the opposite is true at Marinello. Um, I don't know uh, about uh, Red Bull or the other teams, but at Marinello, you get the feeling that if you make a mistake or if you look bad, you know, you are taken out and flogged. Whereas at Mercedes, they go, well, why did that go wrong? Alain Prost slagged off the Ferrari car and got sacked. Um, in the Rush movie, uh, Jackie um, Mickey Lauder in the historical in document first, Rush, yes. But he, he was very critical of the car when yeah. he joined the team, and was you know in the movie was told to shut up because you can't say that because it's a Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's, I, if if I had to go and work at 
any F1 team, my first choice would be Mercedes just because the culture of the business seems like a nice place to work. Oh, really? My yeah, first choice would be, uh, would be Haas because zero pressure. You know, I mean, how badly can you do? That would be, God, I like Haas. Sorry, everyone who fell in love with Haas from, uh, from Drive to Survive. It was an easy target. In my head, I was going, who can I, who can I say? Alpha Tauri? No. Williams? No. We're on a wave of positivity with Williams. So I picked on Haas for that reason only. I like their team principle. I like the, the way they went about things. I like Gene Haas and I like their drivers. So I withdraw from that quickly, realizing, Matt, that uh, about half of our audience are American. So that's why I've quickly, quickly backtracked. So um, I have been fairly complimentary about Bottas. I would say that today he has had an absolute shocker. I think the title should be between Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas. And I fear for him that it's not. It's going to be Hamilton with a token effort from uh, Max Verstappen. But Bottas really, really dropped the ball here. And I'm getting increasingly the feeling that he will not be able to compete with Lewis Hamilton unless Lewis has an absolute shocker. So, panel, throw your hands up when you disagree with me in any way here. Had a... Oh, trumpets! No, let me say the things first. You're ruining my game. Although I have uh, had a chance there to notice how sweaty you are in your in your office. So thank you for your sacrifice. Um, look, he had a terrible start. Absolutely shocking start. It happens. Fine. I'm not going to take that against him. But two key battles today. He lost loads of time behind Stroll, had to go for the undercut to pit under him. And he also then was uh, unable to pass Max Verstappen, had to drop back, think of another thing, pit for new tyres, try and make up that gap and didn't make it in time. I just cannot imagine for a second that Lewis Hamilton wouldn't have done better. And I think as much as we like Bartas and keep wanting to see ever-increasing versions of Bartas with porridge and beards and 5.0s, 8.7 is the next iteration. He just doesn't have what Hamilton has when it comes to hunting people down and overtaking them. Yeah, but who does? Max, maybe? Anyone else? Oh, Leclerc? evidence is out i don't know here's what i look at when you ask that question the first thing i thought of was qualifying yeah oh yeah and, and how far how far behind hamilton but did botas wind up finishing like no seconds yesterday no seconds he was there he was there and and it was an incredible lap by hamilton no one will argue that yeah he doesn't quite have the same on-track passing skills as a hamilton or verstappen or you know you might say an album might develop into someone like that in the future but that's not why he's there. He's there because he's almost as quick as Lewis. And on a given day, if something happens, he's an incredibly safe pair of hands who will bring all of the points home. And he will keep Lewis honest, especially in qualifying. Van Jean, name me a time where on race pace, Bottas looked as dangerous as Hamilton. I can't. Um, Bottas is an incredible qualifier. Bottas runs, statistically, the greatest qualifier of all time, very, very, very close. And that's his best bet to beat Lewis, is to get really close to him and do him off the line or beat him in qualifying. And invariably, I'd like to see the stats, actually, um, of Bottas beating Lewis to pole and then winning the race, because I bet that's quite a good stat in Bottas's favour. Um, but as far as race pace, I whenever... I think I posed this question in our WhatsApp chat. 
when was the last time has it ever happened that Bottas has been behind Lewis, caught him on pace, passed him on track or through strategy, um, and then gone on to win the race? I don't think that's happened. Um, but as always, his best bet is qualifying. He is a strong qualifier. Okay, so we try to be as unhamphosy as we can, Alex. I mean, that's a lie. We don't really try. But um, the last two races, we've seen Lewis Hamilton at his phenomenal best. And if you were Verstappen or Bottas right now, um, Verstappen obviously for different reasons, he's got a, a car disadvantage, uh, I think it's safe to say. Both of those guys are looking ahead at Hamilton and just going, how, what do we do? Like, what do we do? It's easy for Max, though. It's easy for Max. Rep because wise, Max can yeah. go, Max can just go, right, I finished second or third. I couldn't do better than that because Lewis has got a better car than me. But what I will do is say, if we're in better, if we're in the same cars, I'd beat him because I can say it. It doesn't mean anything. It's it's irrelevant. And however much I would love to see that battle yeah. of Lewis versus Max, we're not going to see it. So mm. it's kind of an irrelevant argument, conversation. Um, but it's great for Max to defend himself because he can be like, well, of course I can't beat that car. But then when I do beat that car, how amazing do I look? Um, so it is that whole kind of thing where Lewis is damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. If he doesn't perform really well, he gets criticised. If he performs really well, it's all the car. Yeah. And, and also that, that tracks for whether the race is boring or not. Generally, if Lewis Hamilton's winning, oh, it's a boring race, F1's broken. Uh, but that's a discussion for another time. So I can delay no longer. A new player has entered the, uh, the 2020 sphere, and that is Racing Point. And I think we will wait till next season to have a deeper dive into the protest. And we are assured that the Renault uh, incessant protest that Racing Point's brake ducts are illegal uh, will be settled by Silverstone. So me and Matt can have a big argument next Sunday uh, about that. And, uh, and this is another one of those um, situations where me and Matt have been very passionately arguing against each other. Oh, we totally agree. No, we don't. You, this is the argument. We're arguing that you think we agree, and I'm telling you we don't agree. So we can have that argument uh, next Sunday. However, from a racing point of view, they are like players on the stage this week. Um, they qualified third and fourth. Really, really solid results to finish uh, fourth and also seventh as well. Um, they, they look to be, to be a force that actually isn't fully released yet. So I think they haven't actually converted the results they could have done. So, so firstly, from a racing point of view, they've had probably three races now where they've had the third best car and they've not necessarily looked like out and out the third best team. Yeah, that would be a very reasonable and kind way of putting it. Yeah, well, I mean, an unkind way would be to say, you know, they've, they've messed up during the races. I don't think that's the case. I think that they are a team that is competing in a completely different part of the field and different tactics are required to push on and like challenge for the podium places. They've been in the midfield, in the midfield kind of battles for a billion years. So I'm not going to be too harsh on them while they find their feet. I'm just saying their potential hasn't been fully unlocked yet. Yeah, that, that's entirely reasonable. It's very clear if you look at the lap times of the cars, uh, both you know last week when Perez was driving at the end of the race and this week in the hands of Stroll, no less, yeah. that it, it properly, under the right circumstances, has, has the occasional shot at a podium when things go wrong for people. 
All right, Ellen, I'm going to go to you first because I've got the feeling that you're going to yell at me the least. I mean, clearly, <laughs> Perez, the wind was blowing in the wrong direction. Uh, he had the wrong tyres, maybe, and something, something, dry, dry line, something, grid, something. Help, help me. Perez should, I feel like he should have done better. Um, but I also feel like, I don't know, maybe Stroll, I, 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 it's a complicated one with Stroll because mm-hmm. I just don't know whether we've, overlooked him and sort of said you know for the obvious reasons um why we've been like oh he's got that for a reason is he, has he now got opportunities that he's taking yes and I suppose today more than any day he's taken those opportunities but I I think Perez should really have been where Stroll was I think you've touched on a point there it's like yeah is he is he the rough in the diamond if you like instead of Aladdin the diamond in the rough um he has had the opportunities and I, I have been fairly consistent, and I was saying with uh, with Joe the other week, that I think another driver would have fallen off of the F1 ladder before now. But as you and I will see with media, uh, people who get lots and lots of opportunities, they kind of get it eventually. But, you know, I don't, I, I struggle because he's been given a lot of opportunities. Now he's proving himself. Is everyone going to start to jump on the bandwagon and be like, oh, yeah, he's great, <laughs> where his track record really doesn't prove that. And, you know, I don't know whether I'm being too harsh or whether, you know, the general oh, okay. public and everyone who looks in and sees it is. Okay, so what, what are you saying for this performance today? Are you saying that this is a, a spike rather than a trend? Or are yeah. you, yeah, you are. Okay, okay. Well, well Van G- I, I am. Yeah. I I think I'd need more like consistency to start and you know they are doing well but I think I'd need more consistency than this to really put faith in him. Fair enough. Vangine you have no principles. Are you about to flip-flop over to team Stroll? Now now I've never said anything derogatory about Stroll before. Um, I've I've always remained I've always remained firmly on the fence when talking about about Lando. It's a I good journalistic about Lando yeah. about Stroll. It's a good journalistic um, tactic. Yeah. But I think what you may have at the moment is a perfect storm for Lance where all of a sudden he has a car that works for him and he's found his, he's found the car that, that is underneath him and that he can drive properly. He's shown flashes that we've all just kind of, including me, have all just kind of fobbed off in the past of a, of, of an absolute fluke, but he's qualified really well so far this year. He's out raced Perez. Um, Perez, I feel is underperforming, rather a lot i think he should be leaving stroll in his dust um but i'm happy to reevaluate the situation on stroll i'm not happy to do it this second but i don't want him out my sport anymore and i'm quite happy to see how he progresses through the rest of this year because if he can continue to be on top of that car this year yeah and get performances and be equal to or beat Perez. Oh, it's hurting. Okay. That's, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. That's a really, really strong performance from someone who, to be fair, the last few years, we've given him nothing. No, and we, we, I think we were right to give him nothing. After the Styrian Grand Prix, I said I was really happy with how aggressive he was. And I know we didn't like his move on Daniel Ricciardo, but it was a sign that there was a real a passion there. It was, it was a move. He was going for it. He just braked late. In the end, it wasn't a move, Matt. I'm you not... had a conversation with me about dive bombs. Fine. All I'm saying is, it, Stroll looks like he's got the passion to go for it. He looks up for it in a way that he wasn't in 2019. So you've given him a sniff of podiums and a, a, a competitive race car, and it feels like there's a passion there. So I'll give him that, Alex. And all I'm saying is, 
this is the best version of Stroll we've seen so far, at least. Also, has Daddy gone, you need to pull your <laughs> finger out? No, come or on. Or I'm going to have to drop you. Yeah, he could do that. And the threat of Vettel is a really big incentive. So he is not only a businessman and not only a race fan, he is also not the only entity with an investment in that team. So he will have to give his son a boot up the butt to say, you need to show the the, the goods. The, the threat of Vettel is a is a flame up the backside for both of their drivers yeah. at the moment. And, you know, Perez complaining yesterday after qualifying that he didn't feel very well. Ooh, it's not a good excuse. Don't say you're dizzy on camera. You, you never say that. No. And that went away. I don't think yeah. anyone asked him any questions about it either during the build-up to this, like they were asked not to. No, there, there, um, was, um, there, was, some, there was some hint that he had a, uh, a neck injury today. Also, you know, Russell said that side of the grid, everyone on that side of the grid started poorly and, you know, several excuses about wind direction. But one of three things has happened, Matt. Either this is just a spike, not a trend, or Lance Stroll has taken a massive leap forward in skill, uh, or uh, Perez is suddenly just rubbish now. And I don't think either of those last two are the case. For the first one of this being a spike, not a trend, it could just be that we saw a perfect storm. We don't necessarily have to herald this as the as the real coming of Stroll. Well, here again, you sort of put yourself in a difficult position. I didn't, because, you know, because you know, outside of the odd podium in weird qualifying, he really has been very off of his teammates. Yes, until this weekend, where he was very much not only not off his teammate, but he was kind of all over it in in a way that. You know, I mean, he pretty much did about the best he was going to do. If you're going to fault him for anything, letting Magnuson pass, not getting around the Alpha when he was out on the brand new tires was, was where he lost his real shot at, at having a third place or with battling for Verstappen for second place. Yeah. It was gone in that moment. And that could also just as easily be down to racing point because after all, Verstappen was smart enough to realize the overcut was going to be good for him. Yeah. So why exactly did Lance come in? Why not make Verstappen pit and have to deal with that? So, you know, come see, come saw, I suppose you could say, with regards to where he finished today. But he absolutely maximized his qualifying. He absolutely maximized his position outside of those two things I just mentioned. And that's your job as a driver in Formula One. Now, does he have the same wheel-to-wheel skills as Ricardo or Hamilton or Verstappen? We haven't seen that yet. He wasn't really in that position today. No. It, was it a one-off for Perez? It was wet. He didn't feel good. Obviously, his neck seemed to be giving him a lot of bother. Will we see a different Perez in two weeks? Yeah, quite possibly. But I will say that if it's Perez 4 and Stroll 5, it's a different it's a different frame that you have to put Lance into if he starts showing up regularly like he did today. Uh, yes. So I think, um, you know, uh, Ellen's standpoint of uh, let's wait and see and see what trends emerge is fair. I will say the people who got in touch with me, several people who were like, oh, see, Stroll qualified third and he finished fourth. You're a loser. How dare you? I will point out that I think we've probably been the least harsh on Stroll out of uh, the media outlets. And I have long pushed, I think for 18 months, I've long pushed to say that uh, that I think there's every chance that Stroll could be a world driver's champion. And he has uh, the opportunities, the continuing opportunities to grow his skill and, of course, the backing. So whilst I've not been his biggest fan and I'm acknowledging 
that he epitomizes privilege, not only in F1, but also you can you can look at like management structures and talent structures, and you can look at the Lance Strolls in corporate uh, entities and in media, and you can go, well, the guys who keep getting the opportunities will survive. And when there's rough times, the oiks who are just chancing their arm, uh, I'm talking about me here, fall by the wayside and have to go and do something more productive. Whereas, you know, guys like Stroll keep having that opportunity to keep coming back, keep coming back. So that was really my objection. But if he has five years in F1 to train himself up, then good on him and his family. Now it's up to him to prove it. It looks like he's got a genuine fight for his place. Uh, and I like that. I, I believe that if he doesn't start producing results, they might look to replace him. And that's the first hint I've got from the stroll entity that uh, that, that is the case. Now, uh, I want to take a quick break from talking about F1 before we go on to any other business and our podium and give out awards. I'd just like to talk about some of our other friends on the internet. If you are a Redditor, there are some really good places to go and get F1 information. But if you want something a little more intimate, intimate, and, and only a little more intimate, why not go and check out r slash Grand Prix Racing? Uh, they are a, a more laid back F1 community. They invited me to come and, and check out uh, check out what they post and what they do. And they have uh, an open forum for people to discuss things. But what I do on all my forums on the internet is I moderate it. I try and make sure that people are being nice. They are behaving in a kind way. And it looks like r slash Grand Prix Racing also do that. So if you are a Redditor, go and check out r slash Grand Prix Racing and you can share your uh, you can share your honest opinions if you are being super nice about it. The other friend of ours on the internet that I would like you to check out on YouTube are Racing Statistics. They do good, short, bite-sized F1 videos that give you information about your about the things you're watching in F1. Uh, really well produced. Uh, go check out the guys there. That's Racing Statistics on, um, on YouTube. And in fact, oh, look, they're fancy. They've got youtube.com forward slash C forward slash racing statistics. So nice and easy to find them. This is normally the part of the show where I would say, hey, guys, uh, our careers, me and Matt, we're on the verge of collapse. If you don't support us at patreon.com forward slash missed apex, we're going to have to dump missed apex forever. Never do remain indoors again and, and have to go back to our day jobs of shoveling coal because that's what me and Matt do. We're coal miners and hod carriers we're lifting bricks if you don't want to see me and matt lifting bricks and mining coal go and support us at patreon forward uh, patreon.com forward slash missed apex but what i really wanted to ask you to do uh this week was to to share uh this podcast don't keep it as your 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 illicit secret you know we're not we're not a side podcast we we want to be your main podcast we want we want some commitment we would love you to tell your friends, to tell your mum and dad. We'd like you to be open that you are a Missed Apex listener and share that with people. So we're going to make it easy for you and we'd love you to do it. If you look in your podcast app now or your YouTube show notes that you are watching this on, you will see a link. And we would absolutely love it if you would just put it on your personal Facebook page, your, uh, your Twitter feed or your Instagram, or uh, if you would like to do a TikTok where you dance in a crop top while saying we love missed apex i don't know how tiktok works 
um, we would really appreciate that. Tell a few of your friends that Missed Apex Podcast is where you go for your F1 reviews and news. Once again, Matt, not scripted at all. Think I nailed it. Pretty good promo slot there. Yeah, it was absolute genius. You clearly wrote none of that down in advance, just completely off the top of your head. Miraculous. I wrote some of it down. Jeez, way to break the fourth wall, Matt. Come on. All right. I think we're going to go on to the awards and stuff. But before we get there, it's worth just touching on Williams, Renault. Let's go for Renault. Ricardo, he did well, didn't he, Matt? Ricardo, he did brilliant, didn't he? His race pace, ho, 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 that race pace, woo, got the most out of that Renault, didn't he? Can't see anyone else getting that much out of that Renault. Could you, Matt? Well, if you're talking about his teammate Ocon, they both moved up exactly one place from where they started. So, yeah, there you go. Oh, Van Jean, come on, don't let him get away with that. Come on, his, his boy Ocon, drop the ball today. We're, um, we're Renault in the race today. I, I, I do fair. I paid so little attention to Renault today. Um, I saw I saw Danny Rick having a, having a couple of ding dongs. I don't think I saw Ocon or saw Ocon mentioned once. If I'm brutally honest, um, they had a bit of an anonymous day today. Um, I want to see them do well, mainly because I want to see Danny Rick do well, um, and then I want to see them absolutely plummet next year when um, that person turns up. All right. Well, I brought up Ocon because I was trying to make Matt sad, but since he's not sad enough, I'm getting absolutely no satisfaction from that whatsoever. So let's move on to the podium. Oh, no, Matt, you've got your hand up. You look upset. Are you triggered? Tell me you're triggered. I'm not triggered, but I do want to mention for those listeners at home, because it's come up so much in the chat room that Gasly suffered a gearbox issue and that was responsible for the fire. And if he's cooked his control electronics, if I count is right, he may be down for a grid penalty if they have to replace it and can't revert to his previous one. So I just wanted to sneak that in there. Got it. Let's move on to the podium. Ah, uh, that's right. Rights free music. That is the podium music, and I can play that, and no one could say anything about it. But what I can say is I am distraught, Ellen, that there was absolutely no no uh robots on the on the podium today i i've got accustomed to robots giving out the trophies and uh, now i feel like they've been cruelly taken away they're so fun aren't they i absolutely love them uh, where can i get one i saw someone on twitter <laughs> sort of made one and was just driving around with it and i was like i need that i need that to bring me cups of tea in the morning i need it to follow me around yeah, I want one. You should get yourself a 10-year-old, Ellen, just starting to train ours to bring us brews in bed or at least turn the kettle on. Uh, but yeah, the podium ceremony, very different. And this time it was just a fella. Uh, he may well have been covered in COVID or bees. I don't know. And he just just handed them the trophies. Yeah, it's, it's different, isn't it? It's so sad because, you know, no matter what the race is like, you've always got the podium and you've always got that huge celebration. I'm sure you guys have said it, you know, before. It's just, it's not the same. And I don't think it ever will be. You know, you, you want the fans, you want them jumping all over each other. And you, we just haven't got that. And it, it, it does make me a little bit sad. Well, Ellen, did you submit a fan video to be played around the circuit? No, I didn't. But boy, were they good. There were some brilliant ones. Nico Rosberg. <laughs> yeah, iconic. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to do that next time. I, I, I didn't catch. I, at no point did I catch where you couldn't submit them. Like, can anyone just put one in? 
Well, I'm not sure. This is what I was thinking because I'm not sure if it was. I only saw it afterwards, but apparently there was a guy with his milk for um, Norris, of course. Yeah, no, I saw that. Yeah. Where did he go? But um, yeah, I, I want to be in there next time. Yeah. And I think uh, what should, we should try and do is uh, do Miss Apex T-shirts. Let's see if we can get the M onto the, the fan vision for Silverstone. Right. Uh, let's move on to awards here at Miss Apex Podcast. We love to give awards at the end of the race. One of them is good. Two of them are bad. So if you feel like we're being too negative in the second part, remember that we were super positive for this bit, which is thing of the weekend. It can be a driver. It can be a car. It can be an ethereal concept. It could be weather. First of all, let's go to Matt. Two rumpets to you first. What is your thing of the weekend? Well, I hate to say it, but I've accidentally looked at our notes and I see that someone has already written down my thing of the weekend. Take it, steal it, steal it. It's yours. Which is going to be Magnuson. Nice. It was fantastic. But I can leave that and just as easily go with the mechanics that rebuilt Max Verstappen's Red Bull in the minutes before the race started. And since that's not written down in the notes, I will go with that and leave the others (laughs) for someone else. Well, you've, you've taken two. That's no, undeniable. You've no, taken two. No, you've said, I, I'm going to mention this thing, but it's not mine. Alex can't very well now say K-Mag, can he? You've ruined it. Sure uh, he can. He absolutely can. Van Jean, who's your thing of the weekend that isn't Magnussen or the mechanics at Red Bull? I never looked at the notes, so it definitely wasn't me. Jeez. Um, <laughs> I have screaming kids. I'm allowed to not look at the notes. Um, I'm going to do something odd, especially for me. I'm going to give it to Stroll. Eesh. Okay. I am. He qualified really well. He got himself into second. He drove well. He didn't make any mistakes. He covered himself off really well. Uh, you know, technically he was best of the rest. Can I caveat uh, it? I Can I caveat it? it? Can I caveat it? His biggest weakness in Austria was he could not pass anyone, at least cleanly. He didn't have to pass anyone today and looked but pretty he good. Did- he did a very unstroll like performance and no, very much put Perez no, in the shade. I disagree. That is exactly a stroll performance. <laughs> when he's picked up his podium. No, no, no but sports- he was quick though. I was watching his time because I was I was arguing with myself all the way through the race about this. Well, you aren't. I was well, watching you his pace. You his argue- pace oh, through the uh, race triggered. was very good. I'm triggered. Be calm, Spanis. Be calm. You're in a calm place. <laughs> You're in a field. Perez is doing well. I was looking at the lap times, okay, and uh, before Stroll had his last pit stop, Perez was half a second up on hard tyres than Stroll was doing in mediums. Now, granted, Stroll had clean air. The hard tyre was the tyre to be on, though. The hard tyre was the tyre to be on. (laughs) Shut up. Ellen, who was your thing? Yes, I made a decent tyre comment. (laughs) Shit, shit. (laughs) Ellen, who was your thing of the weekend? Double points for saying Perez. I wanted to say rebel mechanics, but I'm just going to go with Max. You know, the way he recovered um, and the way he fought to the end. Yeah, 100%. You've gone for Max Verstappen. It, it's hard to it's hard to say, isn't it, Ellen, that he has done a lot wrong uh, uh, driving to the grid aside. He's looked phenomenal in Austria and in and in Hungary so far. So strong, yeah. And I, I can't wait to see what's next for him. Okay, good. Well, all that positive, all that positivity and um, and sunlight. Well, I guess it, it's just down to me to do my. My thing of the weekend. Mm, let me see. Uh, you've taken all the good ones. I was going to say Kevin Magnuson. I'm going to give it, right? and I never normally would, I'm going to give it to Lewis Hamilton because this was a, a level of domination that 
that Schumacher and Vettel 2013 would have been proud of. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that Mercedes went 20 seconds. Let's just keep going. They could easily have managed the gap and they could easily have sat there and made those medium tyres last the whole race. I'm sure they could have done. Uh, but uh, Lewis as well, and on top of that, had the foresight to go, no, I want the fastest lap as well. And argued back with the mechanics who said, the hard, hard tyre is the one to be on. And Lewis, proving uh, Alex Van Jean's previous point to be completely wrong, uh, was like, no, I want to go on softs. You know, Mercedes like, well, we know from Leclerc that these softs are going to go off after three laps. So they went, hang on a minute, hang on, Lewis. No, no, you're, you're completely right, Lewis. And I don't want you to, to take that we're delaying you until three laps till the end to be any kind of slight that we think you were wrong about going onto the softs and that we were right. We just happened to have waited till three laps from the end, which is the exact time we know it will take the softs to start graining. Yeah, no, you, you took what I was, you took what oh, I was going to say. I was like, yeah, yeah, they, 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 they very much held him off. It's like, okay, you want the softs? Make these last a few more laps, and then we'll give you the softs. Um, do you think they don't want Lewis to also get the fastest lap? No, no. Do you think I, they I, want? Do you think they want? Because I think if Bottas had come second and got the fastest lap, I think they'd be equal on points. Or Bottas actually, yeah. Might still be I think I think they really like Bottas, but they know that over the course of the season, Hamilton's going to win the championship if it's between the two of them. I think they're very conscious of looking after Valtteri Bottas. They don't want to see him humiliated. They don't want to see an Albon situation. They don't want to, you know, do necessarily what Ferrari did to the likes of Massa and Raikkonen. I cannot see Mercedes cracking open the Mercedes gearbox of uh, Bottas to give him a five-place grid penalty to let Hamilton go up the grid. So I think they are wary of that kind of thing, Alex, but I do believe that Hamilton would have got the fastest lap on the hards anyway. Yeah, he has a habit of um, just all of a sudden turning it on and pulling it. It doesn't matter how old the tyres are, it just seems to pull a lap out of nowhere. Yeah, doesn't care. Um, you know, it's things like that that, despite the massive car advantage, does show um, the talent that Hamilton is. Trumpets. Yeah, it seems like a fair amount of the chat room is now coming down on the side of massive Nico Rosberg scaring <laughs> the drivers at that corner being the thing of the weekend. So I just felt I had to mention it. No, that's good. That's good. Yeah, we might need to look into the safety aspects of that. So enough of all that positivity and light. Uh, let's look at our bad thing award. Oh, no, you missed the apex. Okay, this is where we criticize people far more talented than us, people who are at the very top of their trades, people who are the best drivers in the world, the best Formula One mechanics in the world, the best presentation, the best sport in the world. Yet us, from the comfort of my shed, feel free to sit and have a jab at whoever you want. Uh, let's see. Van Jean, who missed the apex for you? Lewis Hamilton. What? Um, when he pulled into part Fermi after the oh. race, uh, okay. he took he took his helmet off, yeah, like took his gloves off, yeah. got out of the car, celebrated, went to go and hug his team, realised he didn't have his helmet on, his gloves on, couldn't celebrate, and then just did air elbows to everybody. Okay, so uh, <laughs> I was howling, so, was brilliant. So, firstly, someone tried to give me elbows actually at the BBC studios uh, before, just as the the pandemic was all kicking off. Elbows is a terrible idea. You have to get really close to someone to touch the elbows. A polite nod will be fine. Also, uh, there's such good PR and uh, PAing, personal assistanting, 
that when he forgot to do all of that, when he went to his team, someone was there with a, with a face mask ready to wave at him. And he was like, oh, oh yeah, no, we'll stick that on. Lewis Hamilton, so style conscious um, in the Styrian Grand Prix before he went to do all of that stuff. He stood uh, behind some of the kind of the signage and, and said, get a picture of me now before I have to put this thing on. So like, whilst he's being socially responsible, he's still like, yeah, but I'm also like an F1 driver. I'm legit hot. So please take photos of my face. I'm a style icon. Yeah, you know. <laughs> exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like, I've said often, like if I had Lewis Hamilton's looks, if I had Lewis Hamilton's body, this would be a shirtless live stream. I would be 100% shirtless all the time. So I can't blame him for that at all. Uh, bad thing award. Let's go to Ellen Ellard. You can be followed on Twitter by searching for at Ellen Ellard. Underscore. I've got no. the underscore at the end for no reason. No. Okay. Do you want me to explain the underscore? You before better. I get loads of hate. Yes, please. Um, it used to have my old place of work. So it used to be Ellen uh, Ellard underscore old, pe- old place of work. And then okay. when I started my new job, I was like, right. okay, going to have to get rid of that. But couldn't get Ellen Ellard as the tag itself. There's so. another at Ellen Ellard. Yeah, I I might try and buy it because the response I get, like you guys, when I say there's an underscore underneath, um, it doesn't go down well. It's it's worse than being a murderer just to have a spurious underscore. Like, I hate it that much. Matt, back me up. It's terrible. Yeah, I mean, why at that point would you not just put the word the right in front of your name? The Ellen. The Ellen. (laughs) Rather than an underscore. That's good. That's That's good. Well, after this, if you can't find me at Ellen Ellard underscore, it's because I've changed my name to the Ellen Ellard. Ellen Ellard Ellard official. That's the one. (laughs) I can't do that. The thing is, you are are the host of uh, introducing Cambridgeshire, bringing new music talent to the county of Cambridgeshire. Surely you could just do like Ellen BBC. But then what happens when you like, get sacked. what happens again if yeah. I move my job again, then I get stuck <laughs> with the underscore, don't I? Fair enough. Okay, let's pretend for a moment that that username doesn't disgust me. Uh, at Ellen Ellard underscore, uh, who missed the apex for you? A constant incorrect weather forecast. Oh, yes. <laughs> just all the time. And the I was just sat there waiting for one to come true. And I can't remember who said it. I, 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 oh, it's going to bug me now. One of the drivers was like, I can see rain. Yeah. And then nothing happened. And I was just like, here we go again. You know, in five minutes, you're going to have eight minutes. So I was like, just don't be that accurate if it's not going to come off. So yeah, it had to be the constant incorrect weather forecast. What they should do, instead of all that fancy technology, and I'm sure Jeansy will back me up here, is they should have a patch of slightly overgrown grass and a shed and send several dads out there with a lawnmower and a few tasks to do. And they will tell you if it's going to rain, they'll radio in and go, oh, feels like rain. No, can feel it in air. No, no, no. Trust me, it's coming. And that would sort everything. That would be fine. But I think Ellen... Or people who've just washed their cars. (laughs) Yes, that's right. So whenever Van Jean washes his car, they then... Go to intermediate straight away. Uh, but I think you're right. I think it's the narrative. It's the narrative on the, the commentary where they feel under pressure because there's been this undercurrent of if F1 isn't exciting every single second of every single de- race, it's dead and people are going to complain. So they have to kind of go, oh, it's going to get exciting in a minute. Don't worry. Don't worry. I think they need to trust us to go, we understand F1. We know that there's sways. And, uh, and and seasons and swings in excitement and drama in Formula One. So, 
Who who have we got left? Matt, who missed the apex for you? Alpha. Either one. Take your pick. <laughs> no, that's seven teams. You Come on. No, I, if I think about it, I'm, I'm, it, as much as I'd like to give it to Alpha Tari for blowing up Gasly's chances and for Kvyat's terrible race, Kimi Raikkonen starting last with a grid penalty, and then Giovinazzi, like, the only thing that Russell had in sight at the end of the race. Like, I do not know what has happened to that team, but wow, it has gone downhill fast. <laughs> Fantastic. Guys, we're just about to get out of here. However, Matt, we are short on time. I don't want to go to the two-hour mark, so please, three candidates only for... Comment of the week. And Ellen, you shall be our judge today as well. So, Matt, who Wait. are our three candidates? How many did you say? I said three. I clearly said three. said it okay. lots of All times. Right. As per normal, I'll thank Brad, Vermins, and Emi for their Super Chat donations first. Ah, thank, thank you so you. much. Yes. 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 And now I'm going to have to go and be super selective. And all you people who were so clever and made me laugh, I'm sorry. But here we go. Um, CN Butler, has Latifi finished the race yet? <laughs> That's harsh. It was five laps down. Who's next? Uh, next up is going to be Martin Madsen. Aerodynamics are for people who can't build engines. Oh, wait. No, you need yeah, both. If you don't know. Yes, from Russia. That is a famous Ferrari oh, yes, quote. For, yes, Ferrari quote. Not everything to do with Ferrari is from Russia. Sorry. And, um, ah, oh, this is just so hard. But I think I'm going to have to go with Patrick Walsh. I bet Alonzo looked at the Renault this weekend and thought, woohoo money and deck chairs fantastic ellen who's the winner it's got to be the latifi comment the first one that is from scene butler comment of the week i got the pronunciation right because i read the chat room and he told me how to pronounce his name um we also have of course the pony award daddy i want the pony and i want it and for me, it's hard to look beyond Albon. I have every sympathy with his situation. But those team radios, they don't sound good, Matt. They they come across quite bad. Yeah, although I'm surprised you didn't go for Steiner leaving the steward's office after he discovered that both Grosjean and Haas were getting a penalty, uh, even though those were certainly unbroadcast remarks. Alex? Um, there was Lewis Hamilton shouting at, Bono for something about an engine change and he's like huh what are you talking about um when it came to I think he changed to IC9 or something and Lewis was very very confused as to what that was yeah because they were like uh, Lewis he was if, moaning about his engine a lot the beginning part of that right yeah well, they were like Lewis if you press up down left right R1 shoulder button tap tap down start select uh, you'll get double-sized Mercedes which of course will help you overtaking uh, and if you drive over any of the other cars they will simply go flat and go out of your way. Thank you so much for joining us for our Hungarian Grand Prix race review. Please follow my expert panel at MattPT55 on Twitter, at Alex Van Jean. It's spelt weird. I'll help you. Alex V-A-N-G-E-E-N. He's nearly at a thousand Twitter followers, so go and join the Van Jean army. And please follow Ellen Ellard at Ellen Ellard underscore fine at ellen ellard underscore and follow the show at missed apex f1 and me at spanners ready there's no race next weekend 
absolutely no idea what to do with ourselves, but we will be back here at 8pm next Sunday, come what may. We'll even see if we can catch up with Uncle Joe in the week too. Until we see you next, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Technically under two hours, Matt. We did it, kind of, just about. Barely, sort of. If uh, I compress a few silences, we'll be fine. My plan was, if we went over two hours, I was just going to pick a random 20 minutes in the middle of the show and just just walk it it. out. Yeah, like maybe the whole, like, Force India bit. But um, Or when Matt was talking about aerodynamics. Oh, look at Matt's shirt. Here we go. Oh, my God, you warm, Matt. What's 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 the temperature like out there? That's so hot. It's well north of 30 in here. Someone oh, geez, someone right. said um, you should get Matt a, uh, a black Missed Apex shirt. I'm like, no, this is a feature, not a bug. This is this is what brings them in. This is what brings Absolutely. people into the live chat. This is why people chat live. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.